Welcome to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. And this week we're going to be talking about the independent movie Blind Spotting. But before we get into that, we wanted to share our favorite movies where the location or city that it's set in is one of the characters or contributes to the feeling of the movie like we felt Oakland does for Blind Spotting. The one I thought of for this was Good Times, which was one of my favorite movies from last year. Um, it, uh, it takes place in New York City with a couple of brothers that, and it feels very much like they're grounded in that in that location in that neighborhood. Yeah, and if you ever feel like you're a little too calm, you could watch Good Time and have an anxiety attack. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's very the, uh, well. It's well paced. It's it's actually great. I really liked it. In a safe space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, the movie that came to mind was The Departed, set in Boston and with the Boston Police Department, crime organization, and I just think kind of, you know, all the fun accents and the attitude and the situations in the movie. I think they use Boston pretty well for a movie. Yeah. Or also um, the town is specifically about... Uh, a, a neighborhood in Boston. It has a very, I don't know. That just reminded me of that one. That's a good one. Yeah, that was another good movie. Cool. Let's move on to Blind Spotting. Uh, had you heard much about this movie going into it, or what did you think when you decided to go see Blind Spotting? I just saw a preview um, before another movie a couple weeks ago. Uh, before, sorry to bother you, and so I hadn't heard of it other than that. Um, but that the preview made it clear that it was it had some elements of um, poetry or or spoken verse um, that for me was a big hook a big attraction. Yeah, I think seeing the trailer it appealed to me to have sort of that mixed storytelling element in it, using their sort of writing ability and being able to have that flow in different scenes where. You know, most of it's very realistic, and then they'll have these cutaways where it is a little bit more lyrical. Uh, I liked that, those scenes in this movie. Yeah, it had a lot of great um, kind of change of pace scenes and, and metaphorical scenes and had the dream scene. Um, and then, yeah, it had the amazing... I, thought, I, I, I mean, the, it previews it, obviously, in the trailer, but I thought the, the rap sequences were amazing. And so interesting and, and really, really beautiful. Yeah, and I think... Um, and one scene that has that sort of Oakland flair, and it's not quite rapping, but it is very lyrical how they're speaking, is when they're sa- um, selling the sailboat, and the guy in the car comes up, and they're just using all of these, you know, Oakland terms or things that, you know, just... It's almost hard to follow the conversation, really... It's impossible to follow. <laughs> There's no way to... I mean, he even himself says, I don't know what the guy just said. Yeah, that, I mean, that's true. It's impossible to follow. But it's just so fun the way they're just going back and forth. And there's no beat between, you know, the response. And they're just moving on to the next thing. And just such that sort of frenetic pace that they do that dialogue, I thought was really fun, that scene. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, there were times when they got the timing really, really good, where, and especially the um, um, 
Raphael's character, uh, the white friend of the two. I mean, where where I mean, he's just the timing is so tight, so great. There were other times where it seemed a little bit the pauses were a little bit too pregnant. Uh, I don't know. That that would be my one mild criticism of it. Just it felt a little bit slow at times. Okay. Or just or just unnaturally edited, like they needed to edit it a little bit tighter. Yeah, um, I mean, it's really impressive because Raphael and David did these. I wrote this movie, you know, and are the two main stars. I mean, do you think? I don't. I guess I don't think that usually works out well, where the screenwriter also can can act. But how do you feel like they did as the leads in this movie? I thought they were great. I mean, I thought I thought um, Raphael especially was so so good. I thought David Diggs was uh, really good too, but not. I don't know. There maybe he had some of those pauses that I was talking about, or it just felt sometimes like he was a little bit slower or off pace. I think his character does more of uh, more of the emotional lifting also. Where Raphael gets to often, I mean, he has emotional moments, but often gets to be sort of the comedic relief or coming in that way. So it's, they're asked to do different things, I would say. Yeah, I guess that's true, but I don't know. I still. F- I could, yeah, well, for me, <laughs> if that's what they were doing, I couldn't quite tell. I couldn't tell if it was character based or just sort of a weird acting choice. Okay. Uh, and we talked about a couple of the lyrical scenes. Do you have other scenes that stood out to you that you really liked how they put it together or did the editing? Well, they do. there's a lot of really interesting editing choices. They, did, uh, they do a split screen during a telephone call. That's kind of unusual. Um, they did a lot of interesting things with uh, sound and editing. So the rhythm of the... Of the Sometimes it would be music. Sometimes I feel like it was just kind of um, location sound, but the rhythm of the beats would would very harshly dictate hard cuts. Um, they were timed together in a way that I think is pretty unusual. Or you're just saying the movie itself is pretty lyrical in how it follows with the soundtrack and the editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of scenes where they use Zoom interesting in an interesting way, where like he zooms... There's a zoom following him when he's running through the tunnel at the cemetery, and that cuts to a zoom on the on the little boy at home in the apartment. Um, they zoom into the entryways of houses one or two times, I think. Yeah. So they're they're definitely doing like it was not yeah it, it was very creative and beautiful. I thought. I thought it was interesting when they did the retelling of the story outside the nightclub you know when he what he got arrested for they sort of did that ant-man thing where the guy is talking through the scenario and saying what people are saying and then they're cutting to the you know it in real time and he's his voice is matched up with the actors in the (laughs) scenes and like he his delivery is very comical right the uh, i think he must be an indian or pakistani actor uh i thought he was really good in that scene like you know, not recognizing how serious that moment was for um, David's character or the receptionist, but 
just sort of highlighting the comedic aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see that after we just recently saw Ant-Man and the Wasp and talked about it again. Um, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I would not describe that scene as funny, maybe. That scene for me was like, well, I would say devastating. I don't know. It was such a... It felt like the crux of the movie was right there. Well, and they did such a good job sort of setting up all the... You, know, you knew he was arrested. You knew he was on parole. And they talked about it a little bit earlier, but they, you don't really know what happens. And then, you know, that's probably two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the movie before they do that scene where I think they built up sort of the suspense around it in a good way that then caused that scene to have that effect that leads to the phone call where, you know, he asks, when you see me, do you just see that fight first? You know, and that concept of blind spotting that where the movie gets the name. Yeah. Does it make any sense to you why he would have gone to jail? That's It's just confusing to me because it was his job to keep people from taking alcohol onto the sidewalk. That's about, I mean, I mean, that's illegal at a, at a bar. I think maybe the extremity to which he enforced that rule and that the guy caught on fire, I think had a, I mean, I think in the movie they say that had a factor, but I don't really know the legal reason why that would matter. But that guy shoved him first. Well, I think it also is sort of a racial commentary, right? Someone, yeah, I mean, I guess hipster coming into Oakland, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was excessive. I'm not defending it because uh, they beat him to unconsciousness. Um, but I guess, yeah, don't. If you don't explain it with racial bias, then I don't understand it because it just seems like, and for his friend to not get anything either, even though he was obviously heavily involved and all the witnesses there would have seen both of them. Um, yeah, it's just a weird thing or uh, sad. I mean, frustrating that, 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 that ended up with him having a felony conviction that he's going to hold for the rest of his life. And I mean, I guess obviously that's the point of the movie is that it is sad and doesn't make, it's not good. Well, I mean, they do say it later where the reason Raphael goes, and visits him in prison and, and, you know, puts that money in. And she says it's because he feels guilty that he didn't get arrested with him. Yeah. So I think that sort of is that sort of white guilt represented there. Yeah. Uh, it's just so interesting that this movie set in Oakland came out pretty, pretty close to, um, sorry to bother you, which is also set in Oakland and, you know, also small independent movie, I think trying to make some commentary on society uh, I don't know. How do you think this movie compares to Sorry to Bother You and its effectiveness? Well, <laughs> I don't... Uh, they're totally I mean, different. Well, I think they're definitely both part of the same movement, like you're saying. Uh, and I, I, I like them both. Uh, this one, This one stayed with me a lot better, and I think the lyricism and the beauty of the spoken word... And also the the reality of the drama and the high stakes, the high stakes, but having it be high stakes, but having it still be realistic just made it really, really powerful for me in a ways, in ways that Sorry to Bother You didn't do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would agree. I think this movie just gave me more to think about because I think it's just maybe grounded a little bit more in a realistic situation. So that spoke to me better. 
Yeah, I mean, the phone call at the end is pretty devastating. That story is pretty devastating. The gun, the episode with the gun and the the small boy finding the gun was devastating to me. The explosion of anger at the party um, and the fight afterwards in the parking, in the abandoned lot. I don't know. Those things are just, all of them, so powerful to me. And so, like, riveting. I was following it very closely and trying to understand what they... Um, yeah, sometimes the slang, I couldn't I couldn't quite understand it, but I was trying. Yeah, I think the movie just does a good job with these emotional moments, setting them up and making it feel earned. I don't, I don't know, like where I cared about how these characters would interact and uh, if they could get over the things that they were going through. So I, mean, I think that's impressive in a two-hour movie to have these different beats and make it work interspersed with where I, you know, I think some pretty comedic moments and good commentary on that the town and kind of what's going on with gentrification and pushing people out. So, I mean, I'm just impressed that they could cover that in a movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Uh, I would say my second mild, very mild criticism would be the the critique of hipsters and gentrification it just it always feels just a little bit trite to me or i don't know to have to have that character who's the art dealer be i felt he was like he was set up to be this kind of ridiculous artist like white person ridiculous embodiment of um of the hipsters or the gentrification or the luxuries that white people ha- are are able to th- spend their time thinking about that it just feels a, it feels a little bit i don't know i mean maybe maybe that's the truth and i don't i don't know that much about gentrification so um maybe that is the way it really is experienced i think it's just a danger to fall into these kind of you know trite critiques of hipsters yeah i i told remy we couldn't move to oakland anymore <laughs> you're not wanted <laughs> no but what's what i thought was so funny is i think if any any hipsters did see this movie, they would love to have that that baby blue T-shirt that says "Save your hood, kill a hipster." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I could just totally imagine that being in stores or available around here. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I feel like you don't want to talk about on these podcasts as much as I do these the social issues that come up in these films. Is that you think that's true? Uh, maybe not as much as you do, but what what do you want to talk about? Let's get into it. <laughs> Uh, well, it's just I think I think I thought this movie was genius because it has the white character who identifies who or who um, all of his friends are black. His friends call him the N word. He and he and he's married to a, a black woman, and it's and and he's the one that gets called out for being a hipster. And actually, he's authentic to the local. To the, he's an authentic person from that place, and he has this complaint about being always like he, he has his speech about how, um, David Diggs character is never in danger of being misidentified, but, but he always is. It just raised for me. It's, it was a reversal of the normal ways. I think that we see race, um, portrayed in these kind of films and raised a lot of interesting questions of if the tables were reversed, what would be fair? What would be seen as desirable? What do you mean if if this was located in Indiana? 
with a like a bunch of white people and one black person? No, that's not what I mean. But what I do mean is, um, if you think through gentrification and and the resistance to it, it it becomes this weird sort of thing where it's like what they're what what the local community is asking for is segregation almost. They want to stay separate. They don't want to intermix. And yeah. so for me, in my mind, it creates a dissonance where you have to ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? And I think that dissonance was embodied by having a white character who felt not at home, basically not at home. Well, he was at home before, before his home was disrupted by gentrification. And other white people began moving in, and he was assumed to be identifying with them. So I think for me, it raises or it helped me think through this idea of I think the ideal would be that we do all integrate, but I think there's social, political, economic factors that mean that it's very hard. It, right, some people might be resistant to that for these very valid reasons. I mean, I guess, do you think his anger, the Raphael's character's anger, about being associated with white people is justified? Yeah, I do because uh, because the I think yeah that's what I'm saying is the the ideal is that that your race doesn't pigeonhole you. So the ideal is that when we see a black man on the streets of Oakland at night, late at night, we don't assume he's doing something wrong like the police do in the movie. Yeah. The the ideal also is when you see a white man at a party at a brand new condo in Oakland, you don't assume he's a hipster, even if he talks ghetto, or I think that's what the black character said to him. You don't need to talk ghetto. Even if he's talking ghetto, uh, you don't assume uh, that that means he's putting on some sort of pretense of trying to belong there. I guess, yeah, it, it's about not assuming. It's like saying, stop seeing the stereotype. That's the blind spot. Stop seeing the stereotype. Just see the person. So that is super interesting, and I love that theme, and I think it comes from the movie. And what I'm saying is that, combined with the idea of, well, what is it, what's the implication of that for gentrification? I think the implication of that for gentrification is see everyone for who they are, don't assume. So when someone moves in who's a different socioeconomic class than you or a different race than you, it seems like the implication is don't assume that, that they wouldn't be a good neighbor or that they couldn't come to know you at least give them that chance. But I don't know. I mean, I think we'd have to have people, me and you are obviously from the same race and socioeconomic class as brothers. So uh, we'd have to have someone from a different group come in and, and help us understand these things better. Yeah. Okay. It's a difficult, I mean, it's a good movie, but it's a, it's a it socially, it's very difficult. It has a lot of difficult issues that it brings up. Which I think is part of why it's so effective, because it does make you think about these things. And really, uh, I think, like you said, kind of stays with you a little bit. Uh, at least it did for me, where I was still trying to think about this movie after I'd seen it you know, a couple days later. Yeah. Did you have a Google question coming out of Blind Spotting? Oh, I, I really loved the music. and I So when I got out, I Googled the song that was in the credits at the end, which I liked a lot. Just found it. it. Was it sung by the main characters? Uh, it was sung by the main characters. It was, it. I had a main singer named E Forty, a rapper. 
Oh yeah, I I know you forty. Okay, I didn't know him before, but uh, but then it also had the two actors on it too. Cool. He's a a huge Oakland rap star. Yes, I know that now. <laughs> You're in. Any other likes or dislikes you feel like we haven't talked about yet for this movie? No, I think that's it. Good. Let's give our rankings and then we can give our recommendations. What would you rank blind spotting out of five, Ty? I give blind spotting a five. It's exactly what I want when I go to the movie theater. It was so good. Yeah, I'm also going to give it a five. I think this is a movie that I would recommend to almost anybody. And well, it has a lot of swears. Oh. So if your ears are sensitive, do not go see it. That's fair. Uh, mom. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I think I hope these two guys work together again, make something else. And we didn't mention that they're friends in real life and they wrote it and are acting in it. I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. All right. Do you have a recommendation for something else you've been watching or reading or listening to? Uh, I've been watching Monsters and Misfits on True TV. Have you seen that? I've never even heard of that. Uh, it's a brand new comedy half hour, and it's it's kind of like a comedy version of the Twilight Zone, I would say. Okay. And it's freaking crazy, and really funny, and and good. I mean, it's it's uh, there's an episode that just came out. That's a very pointed political satire. Uh, you won't miss it. <laughs> but uh, Monsters just, and Misfits. Yeah, Monsters okay. and Misfits on True TV. Nice. Uh, for me, Remy and I have been watching a British show from a couple of years ago. <laughs> I don't know why you're giving me so much shade, Ty. Uh <laughs> called Silk. It's about a barrister. <laughs> uh, this is the episode in which Reed be- becomes an, an old woman, basically, <laughs> with his BBC dramas called Silk. Listen, I found this on my own, but I will say I have typed BBC into my Amazon Prime search bar before. <laughs> See, I never have. <laughs> I'm just trying uh, to get to that record. good drama. Oh my gosh! Okay, so it's silk, and it's about barristers. Yeah, lawyers and oh, Britain. right, that's what we call them. <laughs> well, they have a very weird system. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of intrigue. So much intrigue in this office. Oh my gosh. Oh my that's gosh good. is right. So, if you like British TV and want to hear people speak in accents about the law that you don't understand because it's even weirder than American law. Silk. (laughs) The show for you. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, thanks for joining us this week uh, to hear us talk about blind spotting. This has been two brothers review the podcast. Uh, I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley, excited to get back to my British TV (laughs) Uh, dramas. Bye. (laughs) Bye.